that's what I see as the most positive impact of the last year has been that we have been forced and a lot of us kicking and screaming, you know, <laughs> to innovate and to think about our students, put our students first and wonder how in the world are we going to keep them engaged and interested and learning that isn't in the same old way. We're not just standing in front of a computer and talking to the computer screen anymore. We're using every possible way that we know to keep students interested and learning. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be on the screen talking all the time. Indeed, we shouldn't. Hello, welcome to season two of Ingenious You, the podcast where we talk about higher education, innovative practice, and leading edge thinking. Your host is Melissa Morris Olson. The challenges facing colleges and universities short term and in the years to come are immense. And yet many institutions are adapting in surprising and inspiring ways. In each episode of Ingenious U, we will talk with higher education thought leaders about the academic transformation that is underway. Our guests will include college and university leaders, faculty, innovators, futurists, and others who are thinking about and experimenting with new approaches. Be sure to hit subscribe to Ingenious U wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, you can rate and review this podcast and share with your colleagues and friends so they can join the conversation too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Ingenious You. I am so excited about today's conversation. Our guest is actor, director, highly popular professor and presentation coach and leadership trainer and soon to be published author, Susan Daniels. A graduate of Mount Holyoke College and the Drama Studio London, Susan uses her professional theater background to help students, faculty, staff and senior executives in educational and corporate settings present themselves more authentically and effectively. For higher ed leaders today, one's personal and professional presence is a critical ingredient for success, particularly in the kind of dynamic and quickly changing environment in which we are now working. Susan, we are thrilled to welcome you to the community of Ingenious Hue. Thank you, Melissa. I really appreciate your inviting me. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to jump right in. As you may know, we like to start these interviews by asking our guests to describe their career and professional journey. So can you tell us something about the journey that resulted in your becoming eventually a presentation consultant and being named to the Princeton Review's list of the best 300 professors in our country? <laughs> well, you know, from the time that I was very young, Melissa, I always wanted to be an actor. And I was lucky in that my parents were really encouraging of this idea. My dad had been a jazz drummer in the 40s and 50s, but later when he married my mom, he became a college professor. He really believed in pursuing your dreams no matter what it was. He used to say to me, you never wanna look back and regret what you didn't try. So I did try, and I was really fortunate to enjoy a wonderful life in the theater. I played a lot of great roles and also had some pretty crazy experiences with people that I love and respect and stay in touch with to this day. And in my 30s, Melissa, I had, you know, what they call a light bulb moment go off. I remember that somebody asked me, what was still on my bucket list of fabulous roles I hadn't yet played. And I remember drawing a blank. I could not think of one role. And it wasn't because I had played them all, certainly not. I think I paused because I realized that I had been searching through scripts for someone to write a character exactly like me. 
someone who sounded like me and told a story that I wanted to tell. And it hit me that day that I no longer wanted to play other people. I wanted to play myself. Now, the next light bulb moment happened years later. By then, I had fallen in love with teaching, and I was hired by my alma mater, Mount Holyoke College. I was teaching a beginning course in acting, acting one. And, you know, typically on the first day of class, I'd ask my students why they registered for the course and what they hope to learn during the semester. And, you know, acting students usually say, oh, acting is my life, or I did a lot of musicals in high school and now I wanna concentrate on acting, or I want you to teach me how to get onto Broadway. But this day, when I asked them that question, the responses were different. I remember one student said, I'm really shy. And my advisor recommended that I take an acting class to help me be more confident in front of a group. And another student nodded her head and she said, yeah, that's why I'm here too. I'm a physics major and I have to do a lot of presentations in class. So I'm really hoping that this class will teach me to be more comfortable giving presentations. I was stunned because I was looking at a group of students who had signed up for the wrong course. <laughs> you know, the right course for these students was a course in public speaking which at the time the college didn't offer. I had to explain to them, look, you know, acting is going to teach you how to create characters. You're going to learn how to be believable as somebody else, wear costumes that the character would wear and go through situations created for you by a playwright. Public speaking, on the other hand, ideally teaches you how to present authentically as you, indeed the most you you can be. And I told them it's about you, not a character engaging with an audience. And that moment prompted me to create and teach a course in public speaking. I used everything I knew about my background and experience from decades in the theater to help address the needs of students who are struggling with how to communicate their authentic selves to an audience. I shared skills with them that actors use to relax and focus and engage. And my students learned how to use what was unique about themselves to present to an audience in a genuine and engaging way. And you know, Mount Holyoke, it, it's such a, a privileged environment because I got to work with women from all over the world, many of whom had voices that were literally silenced because of their culture, or a political climate. And my job was basically to help them identify what they wanted to say with their lives and then help them choose the words that they wanted to use to say that. So <laughs> I guess I must have been good at it because the, you know, Princeton Review put me in their book <laughs> as professors. And, you know, students loved the fact that I was really invested in their success, which I was. I had a lot of passion. Um, the learning was experiential for sure. And there were a lot of life lessons thrown in. So now instead of looking back with regret, you know, like my dad had warned me about, I sure. look back and I realize how my past experiences have informed my career. Honestly, they led me to my calling. And that's where I am today. Lucky me. <laughs> Boy, well, and lucky the students who have you in the classroom, that's, uh, that's for sure. So, you know, I wanna drill a little bit deeper in, in this regard because you do have a wonderful background as an actor. You're well known uh, for sure in Massachusetts, not only for your acting, but for your work as artistic director for the Pioneer Valley Summer Theater. I think you have produced some 55 plus shows uh, over the course of five summer seasons. So not only are you an actor, you're also a director. Um, and so you've, you've, I think, begun to talk about, uh, to connect the dots between acting and public speaking. But I'm wondering if you can drill just a little bit deeper there in terms of yeah. what the specific skills, um, what are the specific things that one learns as an actor that can be carried over to help you with your public presence and uh, your, your speaking and everything that goes along with that? Yeah, it's such a great question. I love that question. 
Well, you know, when you think about it, Melissa, like acting, public speaking is performance. You know, now people get really scared when you say that. They're like, <laughs> no, right? But it is, and this is the reason. It's because the presence of an audience is what makes both acting in a play and speaking to the public a performance. Both need the same thing to exist, an audience. And acting and speaking do share many basic skills, as you said, and they all have to do with that relationship that you create with your audience. The first question that any actor asks when they get a script and they have a scene is they ask the question, what do I want? What do I need in the scene? It's called your objective, right? The actor's objective. The speaker, same thing. They ask, what is my purpose here with this speech? Do I wanna teach my audience? Do I wanna inspire them, persuade them, motivate them? What do I wanna do with the audience? Notice I keep mentioning the audience. It's the most important ingredient in any kind of a public speech. And you know, the other thing that's like acting is like actors, speakers should be using everything that they've been given, their bodies, their voices, and what I like to call their spirits, or you can call it your energy or your personality to communicate. You don't read when you speak, you perform. In other words, you use everything that you have to communicate your thoughts, your ideas, your insights. And that's why I consider it such a, a privilege to be able to teach these skills because at our core, I do believe that everyone wants to be seen and heard and understood. And through any kind of performance, like public speaking, you can use everything you have to make sure that that happens. Mm, boy, that's a powerful, powerful thing to uh, to think about. In in your and I and I wanted I want to pivot uh, a little bit, but it's along the same lines. So in in the presentation consulting work that mm -hmm. you have done. Who do you work with? What, what kind of clients, uh, professionals have you worked with? And if I were one of your clients, what would that experience be like? How, how would we be working together on what you're talking about here? Yeah, I have to laugh when you ask me who my clients are because there's such a range, Melissa, when you think about the people that wanna be seen and heard and understood, it's basically every human being on the planet. I've worked with college presidents, CEOs of top corporations, attorneys, authors. I've worked with an animal communicator, a data scientist, a lot of data scientists, actually, prison inmates, a group of Catholic priests, and I've worked with a mother of eight children. I work basically with anyone who wants to get their voice out into the world. And if I worked with you, first of all, that would be really fun. <laughs> um, you know, I, I usually start with what is your intention? Just like what an actor would ask, what do you want to accomplish with the audience? Um, one thing I do, and this again comes from my directing training, is I listen really carefully to you and I watch you like a hawk. I teach skills, I give direct, positive, very useful feedback. And hopefully working with me would feel safe and also fun and efficient. I'm a very practical person and I don't do a lot of discussing of theory. We get right to it. I'm, I'm very perceptive. I make sure that you are coming across authentically. So I'm basically your audience and I'm cheering you on in terms of your own success. And I'll be the first to give you a standing ovation for sure. Mm. Boy, I'm going to sign up. Okay. <laughs> I, I can see how this could be so valuable. And I, you know, you mentioned you've worked with college presidents. I think about how college presidents and other higher ed leaders are really on the line these days because things are so dynamic and they need to be, and they are the face of their institutions needing to communicate in uh, what is oftentimes a uh, 
somewhat turbulent kind of environment. And so uh, that sense of presence, particularly in uh, the kind of environment in which we're now working is, uh, it's just very, very important, I think. Mm -hmm. I agree, very important. I love that, that word that you use, that sense of presence, really mm -hmm. important. So public speaking anxiety tops the list of people's <laughs> fears year in and year out. And, you know, I teach a leadership course in our doctoral program and I'm, I'm, I guess I shouldn't be amazed, but every, you know, I, I'm always, I have these really impressive students in my class who are doing wonderful things in their institutions. And yet many of them report public speaking as one of their greatest fears. So I'd love to know your opinion about uh, why this uh, is so prominent on these annual surveys and any advice you have, um, in addition to hiring you to help them, <laughs> advice that you might have for those for whom the fear is so very real and oftentimes crippling. Yes, it's, it's really true. Um, gosh, I, I too have worked with many, many speakers who have that crippling fear. And I'm very curious about it myself. I've thought a lot about why it is that we have this kind of fear. And I always go back to the fact that we have this strong desire to be seen and heard and understood. And that's the irony is because underneath all of that is a fear, I think, of being judged. When you think about what a public speaker does, they get up in front of an audience and their body is completely exposed if they're not hiding behind that podium, which honestly, I think that's why they, they do hide behind the podium. At least that takes out one fear from the, from the list, right? At least they won't see my body. So your body is out there, your voice is out there and your ideas are out there. And that fear is that Others, when they look at us and listen to us and feel us, they're gonna see our imperfections. They're gonna see our failures. They'll hear us and not believe us. They will feel that we are imposters. Like what a horrible feeling, right? Mm -hmm. That would be if we're coming from that negative fear-based place. And, and I like your word, even though it's disturbing, crippling, right? Mm -hmm. It can be crippling. And I believe that it is because fear is the number one block to creativity. It blocks us from being fully present and focused on the audience. And that's why it cripples a public speaker. Because again, as I've said earlier, if you're not focused on the audience, you're not doing your job. And you asked me about advice about, gosh, what can you do? It sounds horrible, right? It sounds like, oh my gosh, the worst thing ever. And one of the things that, thank goodness for my acting background, because when you think about it, actors have to learn and be excellent at showing up and being present every single night they go on stage, or they have to at least appear that way. And so there are literally physical skills, Melissa, that you can practice to physically relax the body, slow down your heartbeat and strengthen your voice so that you can appear relaxed. You know, we teach belly breathing, we teach shaking out your body, rooting your feet down deep into the floor, you know, all of these very practical things you can do that will, first of all, just relax you physically. That's the first step. And, you know, we also work on it psychologically. You can practice skills like remembering a success, a time that you did very well communicating your ideas. Mm -hmm. Or one thing I love to do is just change the language that's talking to you in your brain. So instead of saying, oh, I'm so scared or I'm so anxious about this speech, change the word to excited. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't believe how you will change when you say, wow, I can't believe it. I'm gonna go out on that stage in two minutes. I'm so excited to get out there and teach or so excited to get out there and motivate these people to move. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite expressions is anxiety is just excitement in need of breath. Mm -hmm. And I love that because when I teach the deep breathing, which is really the key, 
to relaxing and changing the waves in your brain to alpha waves, which are the waves that say, hey, I'm relaxed. I got this, I'm good. When you breathe like that from the belly, you are literally transforming anxiety into excitement. And that's what the audience is looking for in any speaker, any performer, is excitement in communicating. And then the biggest tip that I give, and this sounds so obvious, but you wouldn't believe how people who are afraid don't do it, and that is to rehearse. Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. And don't call it a rehearsal because you're mumbling your words over the steering wheel of your car or you're in the shower and you're practicing. That's not a rehearsal. A rehearsal in my book is simulate almost to the last detail what the environment is going to be like when you do your speech, when you do your performance. You know, actors do this, they have many rehearsals, some with the script in their hand then they take the script out, then they put on a costume and rehearse, then they rehearse with lights, then they rehearse with the set, then they rehearse with a preview audience before they actually open. And when I looked at the military, I think, you know, what are organizations that work with highly stressful situations? And I think, well, actors, highly stressful, the military, highly stressful. Notice that they don't just sign you up for battle in the mall and then send you off to war. They send you to boot camp first. And that is so you can simulate what war will look like, sound like, and feel like so that you can be highly effective under a very nerve wracking situation. Same thing with commercial airline pilots, you know, they don't just fly these jets and know what to do when birds crash into their windshield. They get into flight simulators and they practice every possible thing that could go wrong. So that when you get in an airplane, you know that you're with a pilot who can handle extremely pressurized situations. So I highly recommend that when you rehearse any kind of talk that you're gonna give, that you stand up, you wear the clothes you're gonna wear, you get in the room that you're gonna be speaking in and you have somebody with you to be your audience member so that you can really feel what it's gonna be like on that speaking day. It really helps with your nerves. Boy, those are great suggestions. And some of it is common sense, I think. Oh. And yet and yet, I, I know that the rehearsing is not it's just not something that we oftentimes think about doing. Um, but boy, what a what a great, those are all really, really good suggestions. Thank you. Yeah, the rehearsal is so critical. And I think the reason that people don't do it is they're afraid. They're <laughs> afraid to rehearse. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing where you just need to, you know, look at the end, look at the end of the journey and say, if I really wanna communicate my ideas and inspire the audience or teach them or persuade them to vote for this bill or whatever it is that you're doing, then they deserve someone who is rehearsed and relaxed enough that I can communicate effectively. Mm. It really pays off. You have the experience. You've completed the coursework in a doctoral program but you haven't completed that dissertation. Now you have a path to leave your ABD, that's all but dissertation status behind with Baypath University, our innovative Doctorate of Education in Higher Ed Leadership and Organizational Studies, ABD degree completion program makes it easier than ever for qualified candidates to finish what you started. Our one-of-a-kind program builds on your previous experience with coursework designed to strengthen your innovative leadership mindset and gain the executive management skill set you need to lead and to transform educational institutions for the 21st century. 
The coursework for the ABD degree completion program is entirely online and can be completed in well under two years. What's more, you will have an abundance of support along the way, from your faculty advisor to your small community of practice group of classmates with whom you will meet regularly for dissertation advisement and much needed encouragement. With Baypath University, there's no reason to wait any longer. Trade up from ABD to EDD and take your place among the next generation of educational leaders. For more information, visit our website at baypath.edu edd. That's baypath.edu edd. Don't wait a minute longer. Make today the day you finish what you started. back to, um, we had talked uh, just a few minutes ago about the work that you do with leaders, CEOs, college presidents to help them develop a more effective, compelling kind of presence. Again, I'm, I'm curious in your opinion, what the connection is between one's uh, leadership and how that leadership is perceived by others and how they present themselves. Do you have some, do you have some thoughts about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, such a great question. I, when I think, Melissa, about leaders, effective leadership, effective leaders, I think about leaders that really know their community or know their team. They know the people that they are leading. And what I mean by that is they really know who they are. They know what they're feeling. They, these leaders use empathy to acknowledge their team's feelings. Speakers do the exact same thing. You know, you're not talking at a group of people when you speak, you're actively engaged with your audience to teach them something or persuade them or inspire them. I believe that, you know, effective leaders are present to their audience. They speak, but they also listen so important. They're authentic, they're genuine. You know You know that when you see a leader who's pretending to be somebody that they're not, you don't trust them. Right. You need to show up as who you are. Speakers, it's funny, I work with speakers sometimes that look really awkward and it's because they're imitating a speaker that they admire. But by doing that, they're not showing up as themselves. So I, I really suggest that in order to be that authentic leader, that you use your unique strengths, your unique positive qualities when you lead in order for your group to trust you, to know that you're showing up for them as a human being with, with you know, strengths and you know, challenges that you're working on, just like them. I think really good leaders are trustworthy. And some of the things that we work on in public speaking is appearing trustworthy. You appear relaxed and confident. And that projects an aura of we're in this together. Mm -hmm. It's not me dictating to you. It's me speaking, listening, being empathetic, leading, working together to move forward. Um, good leaders are transparent. They speak the truth even when it is hard news. Mm. And again, that's something that you can do as an effective public speaker when you're showing up as your full self. Leaders model confidence and courage. And again, that can come easily to a public speaker who is practiced and relaxed in front of a group. They're their body language, their voice models confidence and courage. And I, I respect that in a leader. And you know, you've mentioned a couple of times already in our discussion today about the importance of working in a very dynamic, volatile environment, which we are certainly working in now. And I believe that leaders need to be flexible. You know, we toss around the word nimble a lot, you know, but you do. You need to be flexible and nimble to whatever comes up. And that is a speaker who is present 
because they see the audience, they hear them. If they see that the audience isn't understanding a concept, they'll literally stop and say, how many of you are confused right now, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're present. And that's somebody who can, you know, that's, if you were talking in acting language, that's an improvisation skill, right? Is being able to be aware of what is happening and not sure. just being a robot that's speaking or speaking inauthentically. Or what I see in a lot of leaders is reading, reading about feelings that they have or reading that the, the direction for the college should go in this direction. And I don't, I don't trust someone who reads to me what they are feeling, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? So there's a lot of connections between effective leadership and what we practice as effective public speakers. Now let's take a look at leadership on the other end of the spectrum. So we also at Baypath work with a lot of emerging leaders. That is leaders uh, who are on the starting, uh, they're at the starting point of their journey, uh, whatever that might be in, in higher ed. And many of them uh, actually set as a goal in their leadership development plans in the first year of the program, a desire to create a stronger, more confident sense of public presence. And so do you have some specific tips for those who are just starting out their professional journeys of how to approach this, some things that they could, could adapt or adopt as a practice? Sure. Um, I can think of some general uh, beginnings for these emerging leaders. Um, and if I go back to the importance on focusing on someone other than yourself. You know, some people call this having a service mentality or in leadership training, they call it, you know, the servant leader. But the importance of focusing on someone other than yourself, I mean, first of all, it has this extra benefit in that it helps you relax in front of other people because you quit being so self-conscious. I love that expression, right? I feel so self-conscious. It's, you know, we think of that word as being shy, but it's exactly what it sounds like. You're right. only thinking about yourself. And when you can turn your attention onto someone other than yourself, not only does your speaking become more highly effective, but you become a highly effective leader and person in your community. When you're relaxed, you are present to others. And as a result, you gain their trust. And it's all about looking at them eyeball to eyeball and being so rehearsed that you care about who you're talking to and you're aware of what their reactions are to you. So I would say that's the first, you know, and it's funny to call it a tip. It's really more of a life lesson, but it's something that needs to be practiced. And I think it, it's because we've lost that ability these days. We are so down in our screens. We're, we are so reliant on technology now to communicate that we have forgotten how to connect with another human being eyeball to eyeball. And yet it is the very thing that we need to be effective as leaders. So I would say that's the first sort of general tip is to focus on the other. And the next would be to do some self-work, do some self-examination work where you identify your best qualities. How would someone who loves you describe you? And when you're in the public eye, especially when you're speaking, be intentional about practicing using at least one of those qualities. Because when you do, you will be seen as genuine and confident and memorable. People will be lining up to watch you present the next time because you're not reading, you're being yourself and you're using the thing about you that makes you different. You will have a strong public presence, but you would be surprised how many people either are, they're shy about identifying what's great about them, you know, or they've never really thought about it. They, they concentrate more on their weaknesses. Sure. And, and I'm talking about personal qualities, like maybe you're 
very kind, or maybe you're funny, or maybe you are a great storyteller, or maybe you are highly organized, whatever it is that you're sort of proud of that you think, yeah, that, that describes me. Choose at least one of those every time you present to highlight one of those strengths that you have because you will settle into yourself. You will absolutely be your real self when you're using the thing about you that makes you memorable. Can you give us an example of how this works in practice? For example, let's say someone is particularly kind. That's, that, that, that is one of their most significant strengths. How might they leverage that in how they present themselves, whether they are giving a speech or uh, having interactions with those with whom they work? First of all, probably the examples that you use in your presentation when you're talking, if you're talking about leadership, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to be highly empathetic and you're going to present yourself with kindness as you list maybe challenges that people might have to adopting mm -hmm. a new way of working. You'll, this will certainly show up in the Q&A. Your kindness will come across like gangbusters as you listen to people, ask you questions and you show them your kindness by showing empathy and giving examples of understanding where they're coming from. Um, you know, you think about the opposite of kindness, right? It would be mean-spiritedness or judgmental. Your, your talks are gonna be free of those things. Um, so you can do it either by literally giving examples in your script that, that showcase kindness um, examples or by your manner itself. You might want to remind yourself as you're stepping onto the stage that that's what you would like to project that day is kindness, especially if you think you might be presenting in front of a group that, um, you know, <laughs> that is angry <laughs> no, or disagrees so with you. Yeah. yeah. No, literally, I tell you, I have done that myself because you can change the dynamics in the room by how you approach it. Oh, and that is such, boy, this is a really powerful notion because again, I'm thinking about uh, a leader who has to go into a, an audience of employees with bad news, for example. Yeah. You know, let's say that, you know, positions have to be eliminated or the retirement contribution is being frozen or whatever it might be. And so um, to think about what it is that you wanna convey and how you can convey it, leaning upon your, uh, your strength, whatever that might be. I think that is such, Susan, such a powerful notion um, that reinforces the connection between your presence and your leadership effectiveness. Yes, and it goes back to that thing, you know, it's like a broken record where I'm talking about the audience as you're stepping onto that stage. You're right, Melissa, you're thinking about what do they need today from me? What does my audience need from me? And my guess is if they're about to get their jobs taken away, they mm -hmm. first need to hear how much you value them, mm -hmm. how much you appreciate them, right? And that's you coming from that strength of kindness. Mm -hmm. Boy, for sure. Boy, thank you. That That's terrific. Um, and I know for our listeners who are uh, college presidents and provosts and in these leadership roles these days, this is something that they will find very, very valuable. Now, let me switch gears because one of the things I've been really excited to ask you about is the book that you are working on. I understand that you recently finished the manuscript for your first memoir, um, which is going to be called, I believe, The Before and After Girl, which is a great, that's a great title. So what, what is the book about? And uh, how, where does the title come from, first of all? And what do you, what do you most hope that people will take away from reading your book without giving away the whole story? Yeah, okay, I'll try to be cryptic. <laughs> well, I, among many of the crazy adventures that I've had in my life, I was a contestant on the most popular game show in America, The Wheel of Fortune. And I ended up being one of its biggest winners. 
But because of a shocking turn of events soon after the win, I ended up, Melissa, using all of that cash in a way that I never dreamed I would have to. So my memoir is the true story of the incredible events that changed my life forever. Mm. The, um, the title, it's a working title, because um, you know publishers always change it, but the working title, The Before and After Girl, comes from a couple of different um, parts of my life. It's actually a category in the Wheel of Fortune, if you've ever watched that game show. One yes, of the categories is called before and after. Oh. And, and um, it also is, um, it plays to a story that I probably don't have time to tell today, but um, I did experience a time in casting where I had to play somebody before um, their boss got this new invention and then after their boss got this new invention. And it was my story of how I ended up embracing who I really was as a person. So it was a transformational moment in my life that, that put me on the road to you know, being sort of on the authentic bandwagon of trying to get everybody to embrace what was unique about them. So it's sort of a metaphor, the before and after girl, before I won the Wheel of Fortune, and what happened and who I became after I won that game show. But, you know, you asked me about my readers, what you, what I hope that they'll get out of the book. And I do believe that they're gonna be entertained, like highly entertained by a lot of the behind the scenes details that I give about the world of show business. But mostly I would love for my readers to be inspired about what I learned along the way, because Sometimes you have to let go of getting what you want in order to have what you need. Mm -hmm. You know, especially today, we all struggle with our inability to control life's outcomes, especially during these uncertain times. We think that we can control outcome, you know, that it's up to us. If I wear a mask, I won't get sick. Mm -hmm. If I show him love, he will love me back. Mm -hmm. But now I know that there's a part of life that some call luck, some call fortune or fate. And I believe that that's what shows up when we finally let go. And I hope that that's what my readers take from it. And I've actually, I've written a, a short essay too about my adventures and I call it letting go of the wheel um, because that's, that's the other thing that they teach you when you play the game is how important it is to give it a good hard spin, but then let it go. And I think, man, that's just like life. You know, you do need to want things and you do need to show up in order to get them. You need to give the wheel a good hard spin, but then you need to let it go. Let me end with a signature question that we ask of every guest. And you have a particularly unique perspective as you are a member of the instructional staff at Amherst. You are in the classroom. And so you are in the midst of this experience that we have lived through uh, on our college campuses over the last several months. So here's the question. As you look to the future, what do you believe should be on the radar of those who are leading and teaching in our colleges and universities during this highly uncertain time? I believe that we should definitely remember what we have learned in this, you know, era of remote learning. Uh, and, I re and I mean the positive lessons that we've learned. Because one of my fears, Melissa, is that when this is, you know, quote unquote, all over, when everybody gets vaccinated, that they think that they will return to the old way. They miss the old way of doing things the same way. And what we have learned is a lot. And, you know, I think a lot of it has been positive. I know that when we first found out that we would be, some of us would be teaching remotely, I had to ask myself the hard questions. Um, am I essential? 
I, I had to literally ask myself that. How am I essential? When is my presence essential in the classroom? When do I actually need to be in front of students? And if once I've identified that, how can I maximize the use of that time so I'm not simply a lecturer, the sage on the stage? Mm. So I had to come up with creative solutions for a perceived limitation. And I want everybody to really take stock of that and to remember what have you learned about working with your students and teaching especially that's innovative, that is not necessarily bad, that actually it added to the learning, that it made you really ask the hard questions. Um, that's what I see as the most positive impact of the last year has been that we have been forced and a lot of us kicking and screaming, you know, <laughs> to innovate and to think about our students, put our students first and wonder how in the world are we going to keep them engaged and interested and learning that isn't in the same old way we're not just standing in front of a computer and talking to the computer screen anymore. We're using every possible way that we know to keep students interested and learning. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be on the screen talking all the time. Indeed, we shouldn't. Boy, you're talking again about letting go of the wheel, aren't you? Oof, I know, and it's hard. <laughs> it, it is hard, but boy, what a... Um... What a great thing to hear from somebody who is in the classroom with students. And again, I think for uh, college and university leaders also to hear you talk about the importance for faculty to be reminded of their value during these times, um, because it has been very uncertain for faculty who've had to learn in many cases, a new way of doing exactly what you're talking about, reaching students. Um, and then having students that are living and in the midst of, of so much uncertainty. And, and so, um, boy, your words are very, very wise, Susan. Well, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that, um, that I could add to the conversation. It's been such an interesting year with such interesting projects. You know, when you think about all the different disciplines, I, I had a biology professor you know, come to me almost in tears, wondering how in the world can I take my students on a field trip anymore? Mm. And so we had to work on that whole using a camera and, you know, videotaping and, you know, teaching her that the eyes of the students were going to be up in the trees at this point. So use the camera as if they were the eyes of the student. And, you know, just thinking in a whole different way about teaching and learning. And I hope that we don't forget this because a lot of it was innovative and very creative and effective. Well, and it, I'm listening to it, strikes me that all of this work that you do on helping people to uh, strengthen their, their presence has real application for those of us who teach online because <laughs> that, that is a whole different a different ball game, isn't it? And yet I would imagine a lot of these principles that you're talking about apply um, as you think about how to connect with your students virtually and uh, how to really leverage everything at your disposal. Absolutely. You know, the funniest thing is I often have, you know, consulting clients will say to me, so how do I connect with the audience though, if they're not there? And, I'm, and I say, what? And they said, you know, like Zoom, you don't have an audience when you're presenting on Zoom. And I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> your audience is, you know, paying a lot of money to show up and witness your presentation. So just getting people to think in a different way. And again, I'm lucky in that I was on TV for two years. And so I really learned how to reach inside the camera to connect with an audience that you know you imagine lives inside that camera lens. And that helped me so much during the pandemic. Mm, boy, for sure. I'll just say one final thing and then we, we need to wrap it up. But I we have a wonderful um, instructional design learning team at Baypath. And one of the folks in that uh, office told me to put 
this was a long time ago, to put uh, something underneath the, uh, uh, the camera eye on the computer as a reminder that this is where your students are looking at you, a reminder that those are real students, real people on the other side of that that camera, you know, the little the little yeah. hole. And I've I've never forgotten it, you know, of, of how important it is to remind yourself of what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, well, every this, time I still do that. I have you? right now I have a little sticker of an eyeball with long oh. eyelashes and I stick it right under my lens. <laughs> So that's another that's another tip to leave people with today. So, yep. so Susan, it has been such a pleasure to have this conversation, to get to know you, and I hope that we can continue the conversation um, offline. And uh, as I said, I'm so excited for your book to come out, and I will I will be sure for uh, be looking for that. So thank you for your time and for oh. the wonderful wisdom you've shared with our audience. It's been a joy. I'm Melissa Morse-Olson, and you've been listening to Ingenious You. My thanks to our production assistants, Madeline Olson and Marcy Moore. Ingenious You is a production of CHELUP, the Center for Higher Ed Leadership and Innovative Practice at Baypath University. Check out our website at baypath.edu slash CHELUP for information about our professional development opportunities for higher ed professionals, including our blog and our Leading Edge Thinking in Higher Ed monthly webinar series. If you like what you hear on this podcast, be sure to review and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please do share Ingenious You with your friends and colleagues so that they too can join our community. Ben Nelson's passion for disrupting and reforming education was first sparked during his freshman year at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. Flash forward several years and following on the heels of a highly successful entrepreneurial career, including 10 years at Snapfish, where he helped build the company from startup to the world's largest personal publishing service, Ben brought his early vision for education to life by founding the Minerva Project. Now 10 years old, Minerva has become the disruptive force that Ben originally envisioned. In next week's episode of Ingenious You, you can hear my conversation with Ben, including his take on the Minerva story and why Minerva has become such a powerful and effective vehicle for reinventing higher education from scratch. Be sure to subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts so that you do not miss out on this conversation. That's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy and be well.